0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Casella's Prosciutto Speciale. Learn more at casellasalumi.com. This week on Meet and 3, we continue our trade series with a piquant look at the many faces of the spice trade, from the high price tag of saffron to the ubiquity of chilies and the potential ripple effect that farmer protests in India may have on the global spice market.
2: You know, farmers are, are protesting because they feel like their lives and livelihoods are on the line.
1: You find it in a lot of cured foods like cured meat and Parmesan cheese. Um, you also find it in ripening foods, like ripe tomatoes are very high in uh, MSG. So there's sources of it all over the natural world. Tune in to Meet and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, February 9th, 2021. We're recording remotely. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host on Beer Sessions Radio. Well, we'll talk a little bit about barrel aging today. Um, our good buddy, Ben Keen, a writer and editor who's been a co-host uh, many times with us on Beer Sessions Radio, is, is joining us. So, Ben, let's just say hello to us.
4: Hey, Jimmy. Great to be here again.
3: You know, um, I think you wrote an article for Hop Culture about about uh, the barrel aging at Fremont. So I think this is kind of your show today.
4: <laughs> I did. Um, that was uh, a little while ago yet. Um, it was before they released their most recent version of a beer called the Rusty Nail. Um, and that was sort of the the entry point into Fremont's Barrel Aging Program, which I think uh, is, if not the, the biggest in the state of Washington uh, where I am and uh, one of our other guests is, it has to be you know, up there. Well, that's great. We're gonna introduce the other guests. Um, Jake, can you
3: say
5: hello? Hey, Jimmy, how's it going?
3: And just introduce yourself, Jake.
5: Sure. Uh, My name is Jake Endress. I'm a co owner of Crooked Run Brewing in uh, Virginia. We're about half an hour outside DC. And we definitely do a fair amount of barrel aged beer and uh, happy to talk about it.
2: Great. And our other guest, Matt? Yeah, I'm Matt Lincoln. I'm the uh, director of brewing operations for Fremont Brewing in Seattle, Washington. All right. Well, here we are. It's February 9th, 2021. Ben, it's always great
3: to have you on. It was the summer of 2015. Uh, you were in New York, and you were my – I was lucky to have you as a co-host that year. So when, whenever I can get you on, I'm, I'm always really thankful. Um, so you're up in Seattle. I, I was thinking about barrel aging for a while. I, I, I think I read an article a month or two ago. The, the first question was, why barrel aging? Why not just imperial stout or barley wine or quad? And I remember you you were joking about instead of dry January, you want it to be quad why do you think you know all the beers you've tasted, why do you think barrel aging it, it, it makes a difference why why are people so taken with it?
4: yeah, I mean, I do think for sure that um it has become fairly mainstream, you know I remember when I first got into um craft beers, you did have to hunt a bit you know i'm I'm thinking uh, I'm gonna age myself, but you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, um, yeah, if you wanted something that had spent time in a bourbon barrel most uh, most often, uh, there was a bit of searching that you had to do. And now I think it's pretty typical for breweries of all sizes um, to release bears, uh, beers that have been barrel aged. And I think that that extra ingredient adds a lot of complexity nuance. In some cases, um, you know, depending on the length of time it spends in the barrel, it can also bring, you know, this bold intensity to beers that I think a lot of beer drinkers, um, especially here in the United States, appreciate.
3: Well, that's great. So let's go, Matt. So at Fremont, just tell us about your experience and, and how you got to be working with a barrel age
2: program and, and what, what you're doing at Fremont sure um yeah I so personally I started I started my professional brewing career at Goose Island Brewing Company uh that was you know definitely got <clears throat> exposed to a lot of barrel aging I think I still think their Bourbon County Stout is is one of the one of the best barrel aged beers out there um but yeah I worked a lot with Bourbon County Stout and you know, kind of when I started Fremont, basically at the beginning, so which was 2009, and you know, we we knew we wanted to get into barrel aging, um, and I kind of brought with me, you know, some of the tricks I had learned from from Goose Island, and uh, I think we we originally started, you know, we we took one of our this this winter beer that we had done and put it into bear into probably. I don't know, maybe we filled like 10 Heaven Hill barrels, 10 or 12 Heaven Hill barrels. And that was kind of the beginning. Um, and we still make that beer, although it's a little bit different now. We've changed the recipe a little bit. But now we've, you know, we, we still make that one. That's our B-Bomb. We also make another uh, Oatmeal stouch, uh Bourbon Barrel-Aged Dark Star. And then we've also kind of expanded, you know, those were our two that we started with. And then like Ben mentioned, we have the recipe now. And then we started doing more barley wines as well. So we've really kind of, we've really gotten into making barley wine and barrel aged barley wine. So that's kind of like the, some of the newer beers we've been making.
3: And what what does barrel aging do, you know, chemically or whatever, you know, artistically, what
2: does it do to the beer? Um, I just think of it as kind of like layering on of flavors, you know, I mean, you get all the, and it depends what kind of barrel you're using too. I mean, we've used a lot of, a lot of bourbon barrels. We've become really fond of Heaven Hill barrels, uh, just because, uh, of the, the characters that they impart. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, some we've, we've also used like Jim Beam and Wild Turkey and we've used, uh, some local distilleries, uh, Westland distilling, but I think each, each particular um, spirit lends its own, spirit barrel and lends its own character. But I mean, we get so many different flavors out of a barrel. Uh, I mean, the beers when they go in are just, are, you know, completely different from when they come out of the barrel. And we'll usually allow them to to age and age for usually about a year and sometimes even longer. But I mean, for us, it's just like, it's complexity. It's more, it's, you know, more of an interesting character. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, and it's, and it's fun. And, and I think we all, we all really enjoy drinking these beers too, which I think is, is key to it as well. And then Jake, uh, tell us about how you guys started doing
3: barrel aging at Crooked Run in Virginia. And in particular, it's quite amazing that, um, you still have your Black Friday is your big barrel age beer release day, uh, just like many other breweries nationwide.
5: Yeah, so uh, my background was uh, nano-brewing. We had a a three-barrel brewery for uh, about half of the time we've been in business, which is almost eight years now. Um, So I didn't do a whole lot of barrel-aging at first. um, But once we opened up our our larger 10-barrel facility, that's when we got more and more into it. And we do basically two types of barrel aged beers. Um, We do high-gravity stouts and and barley wines in mostly bourbon barrels um, and then a few others. And then we do, uh, mixed fermentation beers in neutral, um, uh, oak, which are ex wine barrels. Um, and so with the the higher gravity stuff, um, I tried some beers from Horace, uh, and was just blown away. And I, we wanted to do something like that, um, straight up. And so we, we wanted to make, you know, these high, high gravity stouts and barley wines, 16 to 18% beers. Um, and we, Initially, were, we're, you know, kind of struggling to get them to ferment out and to get that ABV. Um, it took us a little bit to, to figure out how to, to make that consistently. Um, but we've been doing it for a couple of years now. Um, and it's been increasingly a big part of what we released during the winter. We release usually one, one uh, high-gravity stout or barley wine in barrels um, per month. Um, and they tend to be pretty... Uh, more straightforward less relying on adjuncts um we, we use adjuncts but we tend to do like cinnamon sticks or vanilla beans or coffee and focus on the high quality ingredients um uh but we have done done some more out there ones um and those are a big part of our black friday um i think it's great that consumers understand that's that's the day when you know so many people release these beers um you know goose island paving the way for that and, and just uh you know, it's, it, we try to outdo ourselves each year. So next year, uh, sorry, this year, we're, we're trying to do something kind of like Firestone where we do a, uh, kind of cuvee type beer. That's a blend of stout, barley wine, quad, um, rye wine. Um, and, and then on the mix room side, uh, we're doing a lot of cool ship beers. Um, and we're lucky enough to have some friends that have a, a very big uh, for the area winery and they've hooked us up with some very, very nice uh, wine barrels um, for at first, just a little bit of money and then eventually just some beer during harvest season. Um, that's been great.
3: And, and Jake, a question about your, your, your sour beer aging. I mean, wh- what are the, what are some techniques you use to make sure the sour beer turns out well when you're barrel aging? Cause you, you probably lose a lot of it, in the aging process.
5: Yeah. When, when we first started doing this, I remember I, I, uh, had messaged James Howitt, uh, the owner and brewer at black project about doing cool ship beers. And, uh, he'd said, if, if you are dumping a fifth of what you make, you're doing pretty well. And we thought we were going to lose a lot. And initially we did, but, um, we kind of started to figure out things a little bit more. Um, first off, Aged hops are are definitely your friends. Um, There's a reason why lambic brewers use them. They're just a way to basically keep your lactic acid bacteria at bay um, while your uh, Brett PDO and and saccharomyces yeast go to work. Um, And the reason you need that is um, otherwise the beer is just going to get incredibly sour and some people might like that, but it's definitely not my thing. And I don't think the majority of consumers are really looking for you know, enamel stripping levels of sourness. Um, and then another one we learned from some friends uh, is, is the uh, the pellicle in the barrel is important. Um, and you, you really don't want to move your barrels around um, once, once beer is in there and it's aging. Uh, otherwise, they will break that up. Um, and then this was a really hard lesson you really cannot do those beers in like spent bourbon barrels. We had this idea like, oh, when we're done using barrels for stout, when they're, you know, stripped and everything, we'll we'll just use them as neutral storage for, for mixed room sours. We don't know what it is. My only guess is that maybe a higher level of charring is, is what's going on here, but they never really progress. Um, There's something about those barrels that inhibits the, the bacteria um, and they just don't really get sour. Um, and, uh, we lost a fair amount of beer, uh, learning that lesson. Um, and the last one is, is kind of a weird one, but, um, if the beers get a kind of a sulfury aroma, you're on the right track. Um, for the reason that's a good indicator that the beer, uh, is going to progress in the right direction.
3: Wow. Ben, do you want to weigh in on this?
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: I think that. Matt probably would be a better one than me on the uh technical side of things.
2: Um, yeah, I mean we to be honest, we haven't done a lot of uh uh cool ship. Uh we don't we we've, we've talked about it a lot, but it's something we haven't uh, pulled the trigger on, so I uh I refer to or refer to uh Jake on that one. But we have done a I mean we do do a small amount of wild and mixed firm brewing. And uh, that's an interesting point about the, the bourbon barrel, the second use bourbon barrel. And I think, I think I can kind of echo that a little bit. You know, we've done a lot of uh, fooder aging. And then once we're some of, you know, we have uh, one of our fooders, uh, use one of them as a Solera. And, you know, we'll, we'll move out of the fooder into, into wine barrels or punchins. And a lot of the time, and we have used some second use bourbon. And I think you're right. I mean, I think that's something we've also noticed that we haven't seen once it kind of hits the bourbon, it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really move a whole lot. It kind of like stays in this one zone, the same zone it was in, in the, uh, in the punch or the uh, footer. So that is, that is kind of interesting to hear that, uh, hear that from you. That's great. Matt to Matt, Matt at Fremont, How many barrels, like oak barrels or wood barrels, do you guys actually have that you're working with? Uh, Usually anywhere. that We're kind of like emptying and filling throughout the year now. And, you know, it's usually around 1,500 bourbon and mixed – or bourbon and uh, spirits barrels. So right around in there.
3: Wow. When you guys at Fremont, how do the different spirit barrels, since uh, Jake mentioned bourbon barrels – how do the different spirit barrels, like you know, influence the beer? And do you choose going back to what he said? Do you choose certain um, types of, of of spirit barrels for
2: certain beers? Uh, we do. I mean, a lot of what we've what we've kind of like we've kind of settled into um, using for most of our brands using Heaven Hill, and then anywhere from. Um, usually between 8- and 10-year-old Heaven Hill barrels. And we've found that the age of the barrel actually has an impact for us. I know I've heard, if you, I think there's there are definitely differing opinions on this, but for us, we we appreciate some of the more nuanced character that we get out of the, the older barrels. Sometimes they seem to be a little bit less harsh. Um, and less, I mean, we get a little bit, once we rack out of barrels, we get a little bit less heat coming off the, uh, coming or in the, in the finished beer. Um, so that's always, that plays a big role for us. Uh, and then as far as different, um, different spirits makers, like we've, we've had good success with Buffalo Trace as well. Uh, we find that we get, uh, with similar results, uh, with Buffalo Trace. Uh, but I mean, I think it, it's, I mean, it really, we, We've found that with wild turkey, for, kind of at the other end of the spectrum, like we've used wild turkey before, and we found that it imparts definitely much more of a kind of in-your-face whiskey character, uh, much harsher, but then we've found that if we leave the beer in barrel longer, long enough, that kinds to mellow a little bit. I mean, one of our, I think back one of our, like oh we, we brought these wild turkey barrels in, I don't know, six or seven years ago or something, And we kept on, we pulled beer out of there annually, tasted, see how it's going. And we decided, oh, let's not dump it. You know, like, oh, let's, we we didn't like it, but let's not dump it. Let's let it go another, you know, six months or a year. And we checked it back and we went, we left that beer in barrel for about three or four years. And finally (laughs) we were like, wow, this is actually turning into something really interesting. And then we ended up uh, subsequently using that into a small batch blend. Uh, which we do occasionally. We'll do special projects where we'll pull, you know, it might be three different uh, base beers in, in three different spirits barrels or, you know, or up to six or seven, you know, and just kind of make a, a special blended beer. So, yeah. Um, it does, uh, I mean, I think you can get a lot of different characters from, you know, all different spirits barrels.
3: That's great. Hey, Ben, so back to your article. So you're in Seattle. Um, what does Fremont brewing mean to you? Like, is it a place that you go? Is it it more the beers that you've been drinking over the years?
4: Yeah. um, Well, I, I like to say, uh, first of all, uh, Matt and Sarah um, who founded Fremont um, were actually two of the first people I met when I moved here. Um, And so uh, for that reason, I have, a fondness for the brewery, but yeah, I live a couple of miles away and regularly swing by um, for beers. They they do a great job of um, making you know a wide range of um, barrel aged stuff. They also have a huge um, fresh hop beer program in the uh, fall, early fall months, um, and then just a tremendous amount of other great beers. Um, so you always know that whether it's coming from the barrel seller, um, whether it's one of their clean beers, um, whether it's one of their, um, what is it called? The Black Heron Project, Matt, yes. uh, which are some of the mixed fermentation beers he referenced. Um, there's, there's just a tremendous amount of variety and the quality, in my opinion, um, is right up there no matter, you know, what you like to drink. Um, so it's hard to it's hard not to make it a stop when you're, you know, feeling thirsty. And <laughs> Well, thanks. Thanks,
2: Ben. Appreciate that.
3: <laughs> well, on that note, to, to, let's go to Jake. Um, you know, some breweries are making, you have to make a, a wide range of beers. I know that. Some breweries are making hard seltzer. You know, you're, you're, you're selling quenching, refreshing beers as well. Um, how does the Barrel Age program fit into your, your overall uh, kind of brewery identity?
5: Yeah, so our our brewery is really heavily um, taproom focused. Uh, So when we opened up our larger place in 2017, um, we partnered with a a restaurant um, and we had them doing the food within our space and subleasing, doing tacos, and we did the beer. And it it was immediately a big hit. Um, And it created this atmosphere where we sold like a ton of beer by the glass. Um, and when you're selling a lot of beer by the glass, you, you need to have a wide variety of stuff to kind of satisfy everybody, because you're not drawing people who come into your place for, at, you know, your primary customer is there for tacos and beer. They're not there for can releases, for bottle releases, etc. cetera. So having this wide variety, you know, during the summer, we, we try to have just, a, you know, a, a classic half on tap. Um, and we try to do kind of a little bit of everything and that ensures that if you have a group of five people and one person is like you know i don't like this or i only like that or whatever you're not going to be like keeping anyone out because you don't do a certain thing um and that was just kind of the 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 niche that we found you know you can go to to hazemaker breweries where it's going to be 10 ipas on tap and the customers are there for that Um, but for us it was like we should have like a very a good, very good barrel aged beer, um, very good saison, uh, good pills, or good IPAs uh, across the spectrum. And with the the barrel aged stuff, um, it just it became more and more of what we did because we were we were pleased with the results, or customers seemed to be liking what we were doing. And um, and frankly, the the margins on those beers are really good. Um, they they sell for a lot of money. Um, so it it became it started to become a very part of what we did for, for all those reasons.
3: Jake, I I have in front of me, I have, um, a crooked run, a bottle of the Nile barley wine style ale aged in bourbon barrels, uh, with Ugandan vanilla beans. Um, tell me about this beer.
5: This it's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Hell yeah. Um, that beer I, I am really in love with. Um, so basically uh, it's a high-gravity barley wine spent 26 months um, in bourbon barrels. Um, and like Matt, we, we love Heaven Hill, too. Uh, we use Heaven Hill for the majority of, of our barrel-aged beers. And then we do a fair amount of double-barrel-aged, where they start in Heaven Hill and then go into something else. Um, but the, those, I believe, were in Heaven Hill barrels uh, for 26 months. And then they were conditioned on just the crazy level of vegan and vanilla beans. Um, and this was something that we were inspired to give a try when we were, uh, we did a collab with Barreled Souls in Maine and they do a lot of barley wines and, and other barrel aged stuff. And they had done a a beer with this huge, you know, one pound per barrel of Egumin and vanilla beans. And, and we wanted to try doing it too. So we did this beer for our mug club where we took this, what was just a really great barrel aged barley wine. And condition it on you know this crazy level of of vegan and vanilla beans and those vanilla beans are really unique because they taste really just like straight fudge they they taste more like chocolate than they do vanilla um and it gives that beer like you know a, a fudge tootsie roll quality to it um that i really really love um and the majority of that particular beer we released as just a straight barrel-aged barley wine, which was called Wisdom. And, you know, we, we thought it was it was so good, it, it shouldn't really get any adjuncts. But we did want to create something special for a mug club, so we made that beer.
3: Oh, that's great. And Ben, uh, in the intro, you were talking about the the Rusty Nail at Fremont. Can you, can you tell me more about it? I've, I've never had any of the Fremont beer, so...
4: <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that should be uh, something that we fix, Jimmy, off air. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, the Rusty Nail um, was uh, a beer that was brewed for an anniversary party for a, a very popular, well-known bar out here in Seattle called the Pine Box um, because it occupies a space that used to be a funeral home. Um, and so uh they brew Fremont brewed this collaboration um which started off as um an oatmeal stout and uh then it also has um licorice and cinnamon in it um and then it spent a lot of time um in uh in bourbon barrels and it um it's it's a tremendously good beer it's won awards. Um, I think, you know, it's one of the beers for people who don't live in Washington, um, you know, that kind of put Fremont on their radar um, in a lot of cases. Um, and yeah, it's one of my favorites, uh from the barrel program, um, personally, it just that, that licorice and that cinnamon, um, uh, as Matt was saying before, just give it these extra layers. And it's, I don't know how much they use in, in each batch, but it's sort of subtle. You know, it kind of takes a couple of sips before your taste buds put it all together. And I think that's what makes it it cool and, and fun to drink.
3: Matt, you want to talk about making the Rusty
2: nail?
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that's a, probably one of the bigger beers
2: that we make. And it starts off, it's a, it's a 30, gra- 30 Plato beer, so pretty high gravity. Um, we do... And for most of our for most of our beers we actually do for most of our barrel aged beers we'll do uh, a double mash so we'll actually do uh two rounds of mash uh, run it basically run it off twice and into to get a full kettle and it's uh and basically when it's when it's done fermenting it ends i think the finishing gravity is similar to what our uh what our pale ale and some of our lower ABV IPAs start off at. So it's, it's, it's definitely viscous. It has a lot of residual sugar in it. Um, but I mean, I think that we try to balance that out with the the barrel aging itself. Like we, we kind of design all these beers, you know, to go into barrel. And I think would you, once you, if you were to drink these beers before they go into barrel, they would not be super pleasant. They kind of need that barrel, that extended barrel aging, um, to really to have those kind of flavors meld out and have that that <coughs> that have things balance out a little bit over time but we'll, we'll age it in uh, Heaven Hill barrels, 10 to 8 to 10 year old Heaven Hill barrels for usually about 18 months and um, at the end of the 18 months, so we do use like Ben was mentioning the licorice, we use licorice on the brewer's licorice which is kind of it's a really weird thing. I don't know of any other licorice that it looks like it's like these sticks of licorice that we'll actually add uh, during the brewing process on the hot side, um, and then before it goes into barrel, we will will age some cinnamon on it, and then when we pull it out of barrel after the eighteen months, we'll also we'll kind of make an evaluation if it needs a little more cinnamon. Lately. What we've been doing over the last several years, and this is kind of part of you know, how different processes evolve. Um, but we, we decided we kind of wanted a little to, to brighten up the cinnamon character, so we started adding cinnamon again right before packaging so we can get this, this brighter quality of cinnamon that, it, that tends to really age nicely in bottle, too. So
3: how long is the process from you know, the first brew until you put it in
2: bottle? Um, yeah, it's probably like nineteen months, something like that right around in there. and how, how long do you think what's the optimum
3: uh time to drink it? like how many years would you would you keep it?
2: um I think optimally no I think this is really personal too. um and super subjective, but i I mean for myself, I would say you can go five years plus especially with this since it's such a huge beer it ages really nicely but i would say for me it's usually like a year or two in bottle and that's i think that's when most of our beers really hit their stride but i mean they're fully drinkable right when they're bottled but you know we'll often do at least once a year we'll do verticals and we'll start pulling things out of our cellars just to see how things are doing especially when it comes time to brewing this the next year's batch you know we'll kind of We'll kind of take a look at how things are aging and decide if we want to make any process or recipe adjustments. Um, but I think consistently for myself anyway, I think, you know, one to two years in bottle and it it's pretty great. That that would be cool, Ben.
3: One year I, sh- I should join you and we'll sit in on the the vertical sampling. <laughs> how does that sound, Ben? <laughs>
4: It would be a a nice day as long as you don't have other plans. (laughs)
3: Yes, just like you you wipe your
2: calendar clean.
3: (laughs) And pray for snow. Hey, um, we're off to a great start. We're going to take a short break and be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
1: This episode is brought to you by Casella's Prosciutto Speciale. Casella's prosciutto speciale is made in America following the time-tested traditions of Italy's Norcini, the itinerant butchers who traveled the countryside preparing, seasoning, and aging meat. Just like those dedicated artisans of old, Casella's prosciutto starts with the highest quality ingredients. They exclusively use rare breed heritage pigs, including Duroc, Tamworth, Berkshire, and Large Black, which are pasture-raised by small family farmers across the U.S., Their slow, on-the-bone curing process follows the standards of the Italian Prosciutto Consortia and produces consistently gorgeous results. Casellas Prosciutto is elegant. It is marbled, delicate, and nutty. They value that each ham is unique from the next, showcasing the subtle difference between breeds, farms, sizes, and pigs. Casellas believes in the quality of ingredients, good pork, salt, and time. It's that simple. Learn more at casellasalumi.com.
3: Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right, Ben Keen, uh, my good buddy, editor, writer up in Seattle now, um, we put together this little barrel aging show um, with Matt Lincoln, from Fremont Brewing and um, Jake Endres from Crooked Run in Virginia. Um, is there anything that they they've been talking uh, quite a lot about the barrel aging? Is there anything that you want to ask either one of the brewers? Because I'm I, my head's kind of spinning, and I also <laughs> I also that's because I'm drinking the Crooked Run Nile. But
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, I have two questions that come to mind. One of them, uh, Jake, kind of touched on before talking about um, releasing these big barrel-aged beers, which are are typically more expensive than other styles. Um, I have heard from some places, you know, the world has has gone, uh, the beer world has gone to cans in a big way. Um, and I've heard from some places that um, shop, bottle shops and, and liquor stores are less excited or less willing to carry um, the Bomber bottle, you know, 750 milliliter format that these beers typically come in. Um, And I'm curious to know, Jake and Matt, um, what your opinions are as far as packaging these beers and, you know, getting them to consumers. Do you feel like there's a switch to smaller bottles? Uh, Have you thought about going to cans? Do you not worry about it because you sell most of it out of the brewery
5: yeah so uh, i we do 750s for our mix room stuff which is all bottle conditioned and then we do um 375s to open in the tap room um for for on premise um and those typically are not for sale uh we used to do kite conditioned as well as bottle conditioned But we just didn't really like the results from Keg Conditioned, so we really try to avoid it when possible. Um, We really like the effects of bottle conditioning for the mixed room beers. Um, And then for the uh, barrel-aged stouts and barley wines, we're doing 500 ml bottles. We do cans of non-barrel-aged stout. But in terms of of consumer preference, especially retail, yeah, absolutely. Like, bombers have been on a steady decline for a long time. and I think it's kind of a shame because there's so many beers that I think I, I just really like that format for, especially some of these mixed from sours where, like, you know, they're more like a bottle of wine and you want to share it with people. Um, and that's how we sell it for, for uh, on premise consumption. When we run out of our smaller bottles, we'll just sell the. The 750s um, for, for on premise. And it really makes me so happy when I see a table full of people sharing a, a bomber of beer. Um, it was hard to get people to catch on to it first, but you know, the more people are doing it, the more people see others doing it and they feel more, you know, interested or comfortable or whatever. Um, and fortunately, our, our production levels are not super high. So, you know, if we send some out in distro we don't have to sell a ton of it. Um, and we'll have some, some bottle shops pick up some seven fifties, but they'll, you know, they'll typically buy a case of them and the shelf life on them is really good. So it's okay if they don't move super quick. Um, I definitely think that the pandemic accelerated the, the kind of trend towards cans and away from, from bottles. Um, people want quantity and they want a lower price point and I don't blame them. Um, yeah, it's it's been definitely accelerated by that, but that's the format we like doing, so we're gonna keep doing it.
2: <laughs> that's great, and Matt. Uh, yeah, this is something we've talked about a lot over the years, like what format to put these big barrel aged beers in. And we, I mean, we're still doing we're still doing up twenty two ounce bombers, and we do we started um, early on doing the wax uh, the wax finish. And that's kind of become one of our one of our things. So it's kind of differentiates ourselves with our, in regards to our barrel aged products from the rest of our from the rest of our brands. Um, and now, granted, I don't know that's it's become it's one of these things that as we've grown, it becomes more and more all time consuming. I mean, we'll actually once we start, we'll start doing a lot of uh, racking out of barrels towards the end of summer, and then we'll usually spend about three months straight uh hand waxing bottles because we're for most of our releases we're doing you know uh for most of our barrel releases it's like 150 to 200 200 barrels um so we're talking thousands of cases uh all hand dipped uh hand waxed so it's it it, it looks great at the bottom but man is it a lot of work uh, I, what i'm going to say is is not politically correct but uh
3: hand dipping bottles thousands of bottles in wax is an argument for child labor <laughs> <laughs> i know ben and i as dads would be like okay
2: let's get the kids uh, let's get the kids on that one." Oh <laughs> uh, yeah that i would never have my kids do that they would well no they would last for about three minutes and then uh, they'd probably burn the hell out of themselves but uh <laughs> that's so that's something that we've been doing for years. Um, but what, but what is it then?
3: Like, how, Are you literally dipping the end of each bottle in hot wax? Are you dripping oh yeah. it on it?
2: Yeah, so we're dipping uh, the end of each uh, bottle. I'll, I should send you uh, some video footage so you can actually see. We'll have, you know, we'll bring in, a lot of the times we'll bring in um, seasonal help. So we'll have people come in and they'll sign on to, you know, wax bottles for you know, every day for three or four months, which is, which is, it. it is monotonous, but it is all for the love of the beer, you know, and uh, so that's kind of like, we've kind of kind of hemmed ourselves into this, this corner of uh, this particular type of package, but we've also discussed, you know, moving to 750s or moving to smaller format. I mean, a lot of the time we get, I, I know I get frustrated with, the, I mean, like Jake was saying, I love sitting down and, you know, being able to share beers. I love it when I can see other people because it's a very, you know, drinking beer is a very communal thing, right? But there's also when it comes to these huge beers, yeah, sometimes I want to sit down and have a beer by myself at the end of the day or whatever and or just, you know, with maybe one other person and share it. I don't want to drink, you know, a lot of this 14% beer. So we've actually talked about moving to a smaller format as well, but for now we're sticking with the 22s. I mean, and I will You know, for us, we haven't seen much of a decline because most, you know, in bottle sales for uh, barrel-aged beer. But I I will say we do a very small amount of 22s of our core product. And those, yeah, those have definitely been tanking over the years. I don't think, you know, you see less and less shelf space devoted to 22s. But we find that we're still... You know, we still get pretty good pull uh, with with bottles for now, and I think the downside of using cans. Um, I don't know. I think I think there's just something special about a wax, you know, about a wax tip bottle, especially at a certain price point, a wax and dip bottle. And with cans too, there's also the issue with the liners uh, potentially only having a one year. Uh, effectively a one-year lifespan. So for a beer that we want to lay down and age for multiple years, um, it's really hard to do that in a can.
3: Well, I'll tell you, when when you're just talking about, you know, drinking beverages, I think that everything goes in cans, but you're right about a large format bottle because there's nothing like, you you know, you can get sparkling wine in cans, but having a good bottle of champagne or or bringing a celebratory bottle of wine or beer um, that really does make the party, and, and I think that whatever we've been through, I, my eye is always towards the next party, which we're
2: going to have. <laughs> uh, exactly. Sometimes we actually soon. we actually started doing uh, uh, magnums this year, so we're doing a small amount for each of our uh, for each of our releases. We're doing a small amount of magnums, uh, which is super fun. Wow! And you know, talk about you know going to a party with a giant ass bottle of beer. It's uh it's really fun. Wow. Hey, let's, let's go back to Jake. Jake, I also have a bottle of your Drupalette.
3: The um, it's a golden sour with raspberries, uh, Lambic spontaneous fermented cool ship sour ale. Um, tell us about that beer. I'm switching us back to uh, sours for a minute.
5: Sure. Yeah. So that's, it's a long description, but basically stems from the fact that, Lambic is, is a protected regional term, you know, like champagne or, or Parmesan. So, um, it, it, for all intents and purposes, this is the Frambois, which is a heavily fruited, um, cool ship, uh, fer- fermented or, uh, cool shipped, um, sour. And so this, this is our first Lambic style for Lambic inspired beer that we've released. Um, and it is under our, our native culture uh, sub-brand, which basically means no commercially available yeast, uh, all Virginia grain and all Virginia fruit. Um, and so we, uh, we did this beer with raspberries from a farm outside of Richmond, and then grain that was actually grown by our friends that have a farm brewery called Wheatland Spring and then malted in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. Um, and then it was, uh, cooled and inoculated in a cool ship, uh, aged in Virginia wine barrels, um, neutral oak, and then, then re-fermented on these raspberries. Um, and basically, uh, the term is method traditional, but it's a designation that, um, some American brewers came up with that means that it, it follows all the guidelines of Lambic beer production, but again, we can't call it a Lambic. Um, and this is, a uh, we released two uh, at the same time, a uh, Creek-style beer called Garth. Um, these were our first releases, and I, I really can't wait to, to release more of them.
3: That's great. You just made me think about your location. I mean, I, I can picture Seattle where Fremont is, but w- when I heard about Crooked Run, it says Virginia. So tell us about your little region a little more. Are you
5: live near Charlottesville? Are you near farms? No, we're uh, we're near DC, but um, so we're in Loudoun County, and Loudoun County is so it's based on median income, it's the richest county in the U.S. And we have this really strange dichotomy of like very, you know, a lot a lot of wealth, but on on the eastern end of the county, it's a lot more suburban um, as you get closer to DC, and on the western end, it's a lot of very beautiful farmland. Um, and so we do have, have Virginia farms and a lot of them are producing, uh, products, um, for, for local retail markets, which is pretty cool. Um, and our, our location that we create these cool ship beers at is our original nano brewery location. And we have a, a brewery garden outside of it. It's in this really cool retail space. that was this old, uh, lumber mill. Um, so it's this giant, wooden complex of it's like multi levels and it's you know very very interesting looking and so we're in this little space it's this little hole in the wall where we started and we have a three barrel cool ship um that our friend fabricated for us and so we we brew the beer there and we have gotten a lot of good results um going back to to one of your questions earlier about just minimizing the amount of beer you have to dump um we thought you know we we had this brewery garden where we we'd been pitching yeast from previous batches, other sour beers and stuff, which was hopefully gonna give us a good like microbiome of yeast and bacteria around our brewery. And by doing three barrels at a time, rather than ten barrels, it's like, hey, well, if you lose a batch, it's only three barrels of beer. Well, we started doing it there., uh, we also have a bakery next door, and we just got really good results, and we thought, you know why mess with that? So, We brew them there, they go in the cool ship, and then after it's cooled overnight, we pump them into barrels and then take the barrels over to our larger facility where they age. All right. Ben, did you see you had a second question also?
4: Yeah, I did. I wanted to ask Jake and Matt um, to talk a little bit about um, blending because it seems like both with um, you know stouts and, and barley wines and also with um sour beers as your barrel program uh grows you're not releasing um you know uh you're not necessarily releasing beers that you know come from single barrels you're putting them together from a compilation of dozens or hundreds of barrels so how do you as brewers kind of develop that skill set and and sort of figure out how to you know come up with the best final product.
2: Good one. Matt Matt you want to start with that? <laughs> sure, yeah, I'll start with that. Um yeah, I think that a lot of it for us kind of kind of came from just trial and error, especially as our as our program kind of naturally organically grew. because uh, you know, like I said earlier, we start off, you know, with 10 bourbon barrels and it's and we're up to like 1500 now. So you know, it kind of gets to a point where we'll we'll put in for some of these blends yeah it'll be like 150 or plus uh bourbon barrels if not more um and for the most part we kind of changed things up a little bit this year but we'll actually we'll pull from we'll pull from we'll try to get an even blend from several different from several different brews um Representative barrel samples from each will all be tasted. We used to t- taste every single barrel. We've kind of streamlined that a little bit as our quality department has grown and as our, you know, as our experience level has grown as well. But then we, one thing that we did start doing years ago was um, started blending or holding back. From each year, we'll hold back a certain percentage of, of barrels to be used in next year's blend. So essentially for most of our blends, you know, let's say for our B-Bomb, which is um, which is our uh, one of one of our first barrel aged beers, uh, we'll actually do about we'll hold back about 10 percent of one year's batch for the next year. That'll go in. So we'll end up with kind of like this blend of year old beer and two year old beer, the majority being one year and then. Maybe ten percent being two year, and we found that this just kind of adds, you know, it's. I mean, for things beers, it's all about like complexity and layers and stuff. So we found that this would just add with this extra layer of aged complexity, uh, and something that we really, we really just kind of grew the like. Uh, so that's that's kind of what we we've, we've been doing for 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 several years. Some of our like rusty nail, we don't do a because that has extended aging period time, extended aging period. We don't really hold on to too many older barrels, but we do blend a little bit of some age component in there as well. And, and Jake?
5: Yeah, so kind of similarly, uh, what, what we do with, with the uh, Stouts and barley wines is we'll age some of it in steel, which basically means just throwing the beer uncarbonated um, into kegs and, and letting, it, letting it age that way. Um, and the reason why we do that, we do it in tandem alongside the barrel aging is when it comes to creating the final blend, sometimes the stuff coming out of barrels can be pretty hot. Um, we, we give all of our barrels a soak with 180 degree water before using them. So it's not like there's bourbon sloshing around in them. Um, but they can still get pretty hot, uh, just from what's, what's in the staves. So that that's, uh, one thing that helps. Um, and then, uh, for mixed term stuff that that's where blending gets like pretty serious. Um, and it gets pretty time consuming. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a great production team that has better uh, palates than myself. Um, and we'll sit down and, and work our way through it, but they're, they're really fantastic at doing it. Um, it you know, if, if you're just getting into making some mixed room beers, you're not going to blend something that sucks into something else and
2: make it good. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so it's just no way. <laughs> Yeah, I will. I, I will I will second yeah for sure
5: <laughs> yeah and and furthermore like um if you have like like really funky Brett character that ain't going away so it's probably just going to get worse over time honestly I am not a fan of funk in next uh, turn beers really at all um, we we go for lots of Brett character but it's all like jammy Brett like to the point where like even our non fruited beers sometimes taste like they have fruit. And that comes from healthy breath that isn't stressed out. Um, so, you know, shooting for just having good, good beer in general and then blending to the taste. I will say one one little trick is if you have some barrels that are not quite as good as some others, and obviously you're always going to have ones that are better than, than others. But, you know, using some of the like second tier barrels to make heavily fruited stuff, because, you know, the start of the show, there's fruit and not so much the base beer. Um, we'll, we'll use some of the, the best barrels to do dry hopped golden sours, which um, I, I really like a couple of these we put out. But, um, yeah, I mean, garbage in, garbage out. Um, and um, with, with blending, you know, take your time and just, just figure out. Um, and also having lots of different barrels, lots of different years to work with only increases your odds of coming out with something that's good.
3: Well, Jake, that makes a lot of sense. Like the Solera method, you're mixing difference, but uh, just quick, you clarifier, you said when you were working with the barrels, the bourbon barrels, you said it gets pretty hot. What do you mean by what gets hot? I don't understand that.
5: Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, they, you can get like kind of just alcohol heat. Um, you know, if you're pulling a lot of bourbon into the, the beer, um out of the barrel. It might taste a little boozy um after you know a year. And having some like just steel aged base beer to blend in and kind of cut it a little bit can help if that happens. And it's kind of unpredictable. I mean like sometimes everything pans out well and then other times we'll we'll taste the barrel and it's like damn this has got got a lot of bourbon or whatever else we're using. Um, so yeah, having that in your back pocket is pretty helpful. Okay,
3: now I'm going to wrap it up. We're going to ask each each of the guests uh, one question, the same question. Uh, we'll start with Ben. Uh, the beer we have not mentioned yet, what is a barrel-age inspiration you'd like to share with our listeners?
4: A barrel-age inspiration like uh, you should go try it?
3: Sure, or a, a beer that we should try.
4: Um, well, we we were talking about this before I think we started recording, but. Um, uh, talking about wine barrels as a a possibility. And I tried a beer not long ago um, from Ferment Brewing, not Fremont, confusingly similar, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is down in uh, Hood River, Oregon. And they aged a quad um, in red wine barrels. And I found that to be really eye-opening and, um, Delicious. And so I would say quaduary is over, unfortunately. <laughs> but if you find a uh, happen to find a wine barrel aged quad, give it a try. Good one. Jake? Oh man. Um, uh, well, I
5: would say, you know probably on the sour side, um, there's a brewery in Virginia that we, we're big fans of called Pendruid, um, and they do a lot of mixed term stuff and and barrel fermented stuff that is really fantastic. Um, on a larger scale, we're, we're big fans of Allagash. Um, and it's just great to see a lot more of Allagash's, uh, mixed from sours available. Um, you know, five, six years ago, most of them were, were pretty hard to find. And at this point, a lot of their stuff actually sees multi-state distro and that's pretty cool. Cool. And Matt. Oh uh,
2: yeah. I second that with Allagash. They make some pretty awesome stuff. Um, um i would probably say i uh, so I, this is uh see good friend of mine um that i used to work with at um at goose island uh phil Lymore owns perennial artisanales Ales in st louis and i always i'm always uh stoked to try any new barrel aged beer that those guys come out with because i think uh yeah, Phil's making some. Phil and his crew are making some really awesome beers. I know Barrel Age de is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, great beer. Um, yeah, there we go. And then I guess, and I guess on the sour side, this is not this. This is kind of a classic beer, but one that I find no end of inspiration of, and it's uh, uh, Boone Goose Mariage Parfait. Uh, probably one of my if i think of like one of the most inspiring beers i've ever had and is when it especially when it comes to sour beer that is really high on my list um is kind of like for me one of the uh, one of the pinnacles of you know, uh, goose and uh, wild fermentation, spontaneous fermentation. Absolutely,
5: and and that beer is is super easy to find at, at least in Virginia. Uh, oh well yeah, you,
2: it's yeah. great. I love it that you can get that beer anywhere. And I think uh, you know, drinking. I remember drinking that in Belgium was probably one of the most sublime moments <laughs> of uh, of my life. Actually. <laughs> wow,
3: but you guys, this has been a really great show, um, Ben. Anything that we we did not talk about that that we should have?
4: I mean, probably, but, you know, we got to get it to an hour. <laughs> well, we don't have enough time to, to cover more.
3: <laughs> well, this is really great, man. We, we're looking forward to uh, just getting the show up. When you hear this, it's going to be the end of the week in February 2021. Big shout out to our guests. Thank you so much, um, Jake, Matt, and Ben, for joining me on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to our engineer, Armin, and intern, Caroline. Um, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll catch you next time. All right. Woo! Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Cinecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio.